Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning and welcome fellow sinners to Christ Community Church. We're getting ready to talk about the subject of sin here in just a few moments, <clears throat> what the Bible says about it and some things we need to talk about. Uh, remember, uh, just as a few couple of reminders here, tonight, For if you're a volunteer here at church, you're welcome to be here for a supper at 6 o'clock, and then after we eat the supper, well, we've got a few gifts to hand out to you and some other things to share with you. That, and we, we eat at 6, assuming that Dave Literal is awake and, and gets his job done. The, um, we need your help uh, on an issue this coming Friday. The, we're going to have the funeral service here uh, for John Gimperline. John and Sarah, uh, <clears throat> they held the record for having been married the longest of anybody here at church. They'd been married 72 years. And uh, John was 93. He passed away recently, earlier this month on the 3rd. We're going to have the service this Friday. And uh, they want us to feed their family. And it's a large gathering, but probably 75 people. And so we need you, if you will, please, to, to sign up <clears throat> out at the base of the runway there to bring us some food. And uh, we've got plenty of pot. We've got the drinking taken care of, but we need, uh, we need food. So if you will sign up for that, it would be a real... Uh, we need it here by 3 o'clock because we're going to feed them at 4. And that'll be uh, this coming Friday. So if you'll help us, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, I've told you in the past that we're in the process of developing uh, a church library. Hopefully the time will come when it's sufficiently... Uh, we have enough books and stuff there that you can start checking them out. We're not ready yet. It looks something like this, if you were to go back and, and to look at it. That as This is what we've already assembled in the room back there and, and uh, at the end of the hallway. We've got some interesting things that uh, uh, you'd only be interested in looking at because you'll never read them. But uh, there's some other stuff there that, that you might want to check out in time and read as we try to develop our knowledge <clears throat> about the history of the church and the Word of God. So uh, we, need, we need to, uh, I just want to emphasize again, please, if, if you can, help us with the food issue because feeding 75 people is a pretty good number. And so we, we need that help. And if you'd sign up. Uh, before you leave this morning because tomorrow we have to figure out what we're going to do with everything. Then if there's somebody that would like to have something to do, Paul is off this week and we need somebody at times to answer the telephone, which is not a, a big job, and, and to do some other little things. You want to volunteer to sit in for a day from about 9 to 4, why it would be helpful. If you don't, why, um, shame on you. But if you can, it would be appreciated, especially by me and my first wife. Okay, we're talking about sin. Um, we need, before we dive into that subject of, of what the Scripture teaches, we need to, to, to understand some things. We need to realize in our world 
there coexist two kingdoms. At the same time, at the same place, there's a spiritual kingdom, and uh, that that we refer to as the kingdom of God. And then there is a a combination of a spiritual and an earthly system created there that is ruled over by Satan himself. And the scripture is abundantly clear about that. The, uh, Jesus made it clear about the existence of the kingdom of God. And he made it clear that more the principles, to see the kingdom of God has its constitution and bylaws just like our country does. We call it the Bible. And, and when his disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, teach us to pray, one of the things he said that you should pray about is bringing the principles of the kingdom of God here to earth. And the more you do that, the better off people will be. So, and that, so he said, to, and when they came to him and said, you know, Teacher, teach us to pray. And part of that prayer was, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bringing those heavenly spiritual principles to bear here on earth. The fewer we bring, the more difficult it turns out for people. And, and what has happened, unfortunately is that Satan's principles are being implemented in such a way, and they've created, so they put a political wrapping around them and said, so you religious people can't talk about political stuff without losing your tax exemption status. And they've, they've tried to paint us into a corner. Well, they picked, and, and, and a lot of preachers today, especially young preachers, are intimidated by that. They really are, and are afraid to address subjects that are abundantly clear and true, but they're afraid to say anything about it because of the threat of removing, of using the IRS uh, to, to take away that tax-exempt status. Well, in this particular case, you'd have to talk to Matt about where he stands, but in this particular case, I'm 84 years old. I've already got my three score 10 and 10 more, <laughs> And so they don't scare me much. And, I mean, the worst that can happen is to die and go to heaven, you know. So, and so I'm not afraid to address those subjects. I, don't, I really don't care. But they have to be, I'm more concerned about bringing those issues from the Scripture to your attention and warning you about the enemies of those who are opposed to it. And you've seen it, I've seen it happen in my lifetime to a great extent. We allowed them to take prayer out of schools without raising a voice. There were little or no pushback. And, and, and the same thing is true in other areas today that are being disguised under, with clever phraseology. We have to understand the kingdom of God is a spiritual system that is designed to help God's creation to reach their potential spiritually. The kingdom of this world is under Satan, who is, after all, what? He is, he is the guy who creates deceit. So 
you can expect the things that he promotes to be cleverly devised so that they're deceitful and, and that they appeal to the flesh. And the Bible is very clear about that in numerous... It actually, Jesus actually referred to him, if you look at it in the 12th chapter of John, he referred to Satan as the prince of this world. In other places, he's actually referred to as the God of this world because he stole, beginning at the Garden of Eden, God's creation that was initially good and operating under the principles of the kingdom of God. And that was all changed then when, when man sinned, the wages of sin then. Here's the way that, uh, that Paul put it in the fourth chapter of, of 2 Corinthians. He says, The God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There are a lot of decent folks who fall for this nonsense because they don't know any better. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God himself. So... Satan is the god of this world in every area except except the areas where we have brought the principles of the kingdom of God to earth for us to have and to appreciate and to enjoy. Currently, I think we're losing. I think that Satan's influences are obviously more effective right now than ours, and part of the reason is we haven't equipped our people sufficiently to stand up against the devil because the Bible says we know what his schemes are and we can understand them. But that requires that you study the scriptures and that you, that you find yourself equipped by the Holy Spirit who helps you to understand the scriptures and to be faithful to the Lord. So it's a, it's, it's a real interesting struggle that we have. So let's just for a little bit follow the outline as much as we can, and you can make notes if you need to. What does the Bible say sin is? What's the definition of sin? And some of these are not really clear and need some explanation. The first one is mentioned from Romans 3.23, where in the book of Romans, first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is making the argument that everybody has sinned. He says Israel has sinned because God gave them the law and they all broke it. The Gentiles have sinned because God has given them creation and placed things in their heart and they have violated it. So therefore all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now the glory of God, really that term glory of God means that we, our activities reflect good on the name of God. When we talk about God's glory, we're talking about the good that we do that, that actually reflects his qualities in our life. The qualities of Christ as reflected from and, and the, the fullness of God was in Christ. And so how, how we reflect as his representatives who he is is referred to as the glory of God. It's related to some other things too in scripture. But Paul uses that argument. And so, and, and since all of us have done, have fallen short of, of accomplishing that, he says, we're all, we're all sinners. It's the reason I welcomed you as such. Under B, failing to do good when we know better. And this is, and, and this is really, I think, pretty clear when you look at the book of James. And, uh, and here he's not talking about sinners. 
he's talking about Christians. And, uh, and he addresses that from the, from the standpoint uh, for you and me. It's not some bad guys out here somewhere. It's about us. And here's what he says, and I think it's kind of uh, clear here in, in uh, verse 17 uh, when he's talking about, he says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do as a Christian and doesn't do it, sins. So what he's advocating here is saying there is a degree of knowledge that is necessary. There's, there's a big difference between those who consciously, purposely, knowingly sin and, then though, and, and don't even know it's a sin and those who uh, know better. And so those of us who are Christians, that's the reason the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so those of us who know better and still go ahead and do things that we know we shouldn't do is to that person sin, is what he's saying here. Now, we've already established, I hope, that there is a, uh, a, a divine kingdom over which Christ has, God set Christ over it as, as the king. And within that kingdom, there are divine laws, most of which, most of which are positive. Most of which in the kingdom of God are positive things about how we should treat each other. Because that's where the whole concept of love comes from that we've so, failed so miserably at doing. Because that's the, ultimate, that's the only thing in this world that we're doing. Our faith will not be required anymore in heaven. It won't, because we, what we have taken by faith now becomes a reality. Hope is gone, because what we had hoped for, now we're experiencing in heaven. But the one thing that is left that's required is that we care for each, that we love each other. And that's to start now. And that's why that whole 13th chapter of the first of Corinthians, first, uh, 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 first Corinthians is there. And so he defines sin this way. Anytime, and 1 John is, has a, a lengthy session on that if you want to read about it, and, and he says, breaking those divine laws is sin. And see, you and I, as Christians, are now under the divine law of the kingdom of God. Because when we became Christians, we, were, we didn't join the church. We were added to it. God keeps his own role. What the role we keep here don't matter a role piece. He added to the church daily such as should be saved, the New Testament teaches. It's his role that counts. And so we then have been enrolled, if you want to use that term, as citizens of the kingdom of God, and we hold dual citizenship. And as citizens of the kingdom, you are therefore bound to obey the divine law of the kingdom of God. And if you don't, that's classified as sin. Breaking divine law is sin. In that same book, in the fifth chapter, verse 14, it says to the believers, to Christians, all unrighteousness. Now, what the heck is righteousness? Righteousness really are the character qualities of God himself. They, and they're the right things. And so it's called righteousness. Then Jesus came come along and, and, and he put a different spin on things that, uh, that the Jews had purposely or not ignored. The Jews put all of their emphasis on outward performance. 
without caring about the heart of the individual. Jesus brought, changed all that and said, look, folks, motive always precedes active. There's, there's no one that ever committed adultery that hadn't messed up with it in their mind for who knows how long. Thieves, same thing. The only time that I remember being a thief, I was probably four years old. I hadn't started school yet. Uncle Robbie had a little where he shaved there in his house, and we used to live on his farm. And I was there, and he had, he had a collection of case knives. And I took one of those and put it in my pocket and went home. And I was afraid to take it in the house, so I laid it uh, by a, p- a fence post where I knew it would be. Uncle Robbie, they, he knew what happened. So he came, sometime he's up at the house and he said, you know what, I've lost that one. I can't figure out what happened to that case and I blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there listening. And, and you feel like a dime's worth of dog meat and guilt starts building up. And so I didn't tell him I took it, but I did put it back. And, uh, you know, if I'd have kept that up, stealing it the next time would have been easier. The next time would have been easier. And we're going to see before the morning's over that one of the things that's happened in our day and age is that we have said guilt is worse than sin. And so you need to get rid of sin so you won't feel guilty because the psychologists say that guilt is a horrible thing that is destructive to the human development and the self-respect and all that kind of stuff. And I intend to kick that solidly in the seat of the pants before we leave here today. The Bible teaches, started in Old Testament as well as the New, that foolish thoughts are sin. See, the Jews didn't buy that. It wasn't the thinking that they thought. It was just the outward behavior that people could see. And Jesus condemned them strongly for being hypocritical, for putting on a false face out in public and inside themselves. He even said it like this. He said, you guys are just like if you were to go down the Kidron Valley that separates the temple grounds, you go down into what's called the Kidron Valley. All along there are tombs of Old Testament people. And Jesus said, you guys are just like those tombs. Outside, you're all whitewashed and pretty. And inside, you're stinking rotten bones. Jesus said, true faith addresses the inner person. And once that inner person has been forgiven and strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit, the outward performance takes care of itself. And, to, and just for the outward performance, and all of us have done it growing up because we like people to think well of us. You know, my oldest brother was, a, was pretty smart. My middle brother had to live with teachers bragging on him all the time. And so he became an expert in women and booze. And, uh, and so it made me look pretty good when I came along later. I w- they, they said I was a good little boy. So, but they didn't know what was going on inside, see. It's all what you see on the outwards. And I soon found out that's the way to do it because, you know, it it makes your life better. Now, we need to talk briefly about the results of sin. We, We kind of defined it just a little bit from what the Scripture said. From the time that the Garden of Eden existed... Adam and Eve and their children were all told, look, here's the way it is. The soul that sinneth shall surely, what? 
Say die. Can you say die? The soul that sinneth shall surely. Hey, you got it. Now, with a little bit of help, you do all right. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. But what we don't see just by looking at that text, because the New Testament was written primarily in Greek, Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek about 200 B.C., what's called the Septuagint. If you see a capital L, X, X, that's a, that's a symbol for the Old Testament in the Greek language called the Septuagint. And the, word, the Greek word for, for sin there uh, is harmartia, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but the, the Greek word then for death old, us old timers that had to go to school when we were taught some stuff they don't teach anymore uh, learned what that was from, a, from a, a poem called Thanatopsis it's a great old big and it's called an ode on death and that word Thanatopsis comes from the Greek word Thanatos which means to separate so the soul that sinneth shall surely be separated from God and ultimately from each other. And that's the opening chapters of Genesis are, are what they are to describe that. The soul that sinneth shall be separated. What happened? Man then was separated from God, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and forbidden to come back to into the Garden of Eden until God just took it and placed it uh, in Hades. It doesn't exist there anymore. Now, that's separated from God. But, the, but sin also separates us from each other. And that's the reason the story of Cain and Abel is there, to show you the results of sin comes along and it separates people in the, own, in the, in the same family, brothers that grew up together, brothers that had experienced life in the kingdom of God as it existed in the Garden of Eden. Now we're affected by disobedience and came to hate each other. Jealousy and hatred. So sin, by its very existence, separates us from God. That's the reason in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, people like you and me who've accepted Christ had the ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And our ministry is to bring other people and, break, and help them be reconciled back to God and to each other. That's the reason Jesus said... The whole law is summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's that reconciliation that was torn apart because of sin. That's the word, what the word death means, separation. Now, it also, as I've said, and that's spelled out in particular in the 24th proverb, we actually get to the place where we have contempt for each other rather than love for each other. You know, that's one of the things that I see this really happened in my lifetime that's a tragedy in our country. There was a time when the Senate of the United States was sort of a fraternity. It was divided up, uh, Democrat and Republican. And, but, but when they got together, that didn't really matter much because they were more concerned about the country than they were their, their particular political allegiance. And that was best illustrated in my lifetime Teddy Kennedy was a horrible alcoholic. And that's what happened with the girl there. They were all drunk when she died, was drowned, so on and so forth. He even got to the place where he would show up on the, in the Senate chambers drunk. A guy who sat across the aisle, who happened to be a Mormon, came over to, and they'd been friends for years, came over 
and sat down with Teddy while he was drunk and said, Teddy, it's obvious that you have a serious problem. You've come up here. You've come here. If you'll go for help, I'll go with you. And he actually, he actually helped him go to AA. And before Teddy died, he'd been clean for some time. That's been replaced today, and people are doing it on purpose with hatred and animosity and bitterness. And our whole country is suffering as a result of it. And it's all related to sin. That contempt for each other, we see it on television and we read it in the news every day. Those broken relationships. And it's permeated our whole society. The whole concept of... uh, of uh, our, our culture and where Satan is so authoritative and so powerful actually helps create laws that contribute to broken relationships. Marriages can be broken. It's called no-fault divorce. Yeah, no, I found a, a girl with a classier chassier than yours, so, you know, you're adios. Or I found a guy that's more money than you, so you're adios. And, and, and the kids then suffer as a result of it. And that's just one illustration that we've all seen and experienced. It's, it's a tragedy. Sin has, the consequences of sin invariably is divisive, deceitful, and harmful. And we have people today passing laws that make sinful things acceptable and the Bible even addresses that and it doesn't make any difference what your political affiliation is the fact of the matter is they've all there's culpability for everybody and we stand as Christians in a position where you know we if you've been a Democrat all your life or Republican all your life or an independent all your life there, there's an allegiance to what you've been all your life your parents were that so you're that so on and so forth but the time has come folks when we have to seriously give consideration to the principles of the kingdom of God and we need to look into these situations and 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 to see what people really believe I don't care whether what their political affiliation is what do they really believe? And, and, and you have to be serious enough about investigating those things because bad things creep in and all of a sudden they're there and we didn't even know it because we didn't take enough interest to find out. We need to be better read. We need to be uh, seeking the truth rather than, than some silly stuff that uh, doesn't amount to anything in the long run. And, and, and to seek first, the Bible makes this very clear, from the day that you were saved and that God put within you his presence called the Spirit of God, you and I then were the people here on earth who were primarily responsible for seeking then first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and bringing that into our culture because it blesses everybody. It's a benefit to everybody. And we have ignored that to our own detriment. And I plead with you you know, I, w- I was cornered here not very long ago by some folks down close to where we live talking about politics and racial issues and so on and so forth. And this one guy who's a homosexual looked at me and he said, where do you stand on that? I said, I stand where God stands. God says that he's no respecter of persons. 
I, I learned this way back from Dr. Nash, Don Nash at Kentucky Christian College because at that particular time, racial issues were horrible. And, and, and he made it very clear in our classroom, God is not a respecter of persons, and if you're going to be a preacher, you can't be either. That settled the issue for me. I don't care where, what people's background, what their color is. I don't care about any of that because God doesn't care. Therefore, I shouldn't either. And I honestly can say with it that I don't. I honestly don't. God loves you, therefore I must too. And I do. I thought maybe that it might be easier if we were to just answer as best I can some of the questions that people ask me from time to time about sin. And so I wrote several of them down in your outline here that I'm going to address some of them I can't go into great detail. And in some instance, I'll be using terms that you don't have to remember that you probably never heard before. And, but don't worry about that. Just get the end result. That's the important thing. The first question that I wrote down here is this. Is mankind under a curse? The total of mankind, is it under a curse? The answer to that is obviously from the Scripture, Yes. Mankind is under a curse. And so is all of creation. The curse that we're all under is death. We're going to die physically. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And since all have sinned in some part of the glory of God, we're going to die. But that's not all of it. God added some extra. He said, men, in the Garden of Eden, you didn't have to do much except trim, the, uh, take care of the trees and the stuff that produce food. That's all you had to do. But now you're going to have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work for it. I'm, I'm going to quit providing it. You didn't want to listen to me. You didn't want to obey me. Now you're on your own. Fight your own fight. Sometimes having to suffer is the best way to learn what we ought to be doing. Never pleasant, but that's the way it is. This, the women, you already know, the curse of the females is that you shall give, have pain in childbirth. I guess, it's kind of interesting... I guess before that time, they just popped them suckers out with no problem at all. You know, whether it was Cain and Abel and the rest of them, I, I guess that's the way it happened because it indicates that now that sin has come into the world, the pain of childbirth will be something you experience. You know, I never was in the room with Alice Kay when she delivered that bunch of kids. But I was, I was in the room uh, one time, Don Schaefer and Rosie helped start the church here way back when. Ro Schaefer was a cop, and, and um, Rosie, that was, that was his second marriage. And, and anyway, they were just really neat people. And a little eccentric and different, but a lot of fun. Well, she accidentally ups and gets herself pregnant with PJ. And at the time, the church had just begun, and, I, and, the ho and Lord Thompson had given me a job over at the hospital to earn some money. And so 
I had access to delivery if I wanted to. I'd never been in the delivery room, but when Rosie was in there uh, and delivering PJ and Schaefer was sitting out in the waiting room, so I just walked in and the doctors told me to stand over there. And when that baby crowned, Rosie let out a war hoop that would make any Indian proud. And, and so for years following that, when there wasn't anybody around but Rosie, I'd go, whoop! And, and she swore that if I ever did that in public, she was going to cut my tires and then my throat. But that, but that, so the pain of childhood, I actually got to witness that one time when, when PJ was born. So I know that that's a part of the curse and it's real. The second one here is a little more difficult and has been terribly divisive because it's not been well understood through the years. The second one here is, is mankind, and get the word, underline the word, totally depraved because of original sin. There are those in the Christian uh, arena who believe that mankind, because of sin, was totally depraved, which means his capacity uh, to, to, to repent or to come to God and be reconciled to God is, is, is not possible unless God actually reaches out and, and, and gets that person, which created the concept that, that, uh, that we, we hear today defined as Calvinism. Calvinism is, is not really Calvinism. Calvin was, he and, and Martin Luther both were uh, Augustinian monks. Now forget the monk business and go back to the Augustinian. That goes back to, the, to what in the in in 400 late 300s early 400s uh, a guy named Augustine who lived in northern Africa he was a horrible sinner his mother Monica was a godly woman she prayed for him and prayed for him he had he had women galore and he had illegitimate children all kinds of problems and but finally he was converted and in the process of seeking the lord he spent several uh, months, if not years, studying Oriental religions. We're talking about Zoroasterism, uh, Buddhism, and one, but the one he zeroed in on was called Manichaeism. A guy named M A N I, uh, who was is put at the same level as uh, Zoroaster or or uh, or Buddha, up that same level as a prophet, had a large number of followers. And the big thing about that was they were studying good and evil. All religions do that. And in studying that, uh, manna came to the conclusion that anything in, in all of creation, anything that was created that you could touch, feel, whatever, that you could uh, get to with your senses was evil. Everything in the world was evil. Only the spirit is good. That's called dualism. And, and, it, and so they were trying to figure out good and evil. It's just, it was an honest, serious study. But, and and, and uh, Augustine was highly impressed by that. And at the same time, then, as he, when he became a Christian, he carried some of that with him. Actually went out into the desert for a while and lived like a monk himself. Because he, he had a hard time staying away from the women. He, it was he, you remember, who prayed that interesting prayer that's so often repeated. Uh, 
Lord, talking about lust, he said, would you please take this lust for women away from me? But not right now. That prayer has been repeated many times through the years by preachers. And, and then as he grew in his faith, he came under the influence of what's called Greek dualism. Primarily Plato was there and, and a guy named Plotinus who was a Neoplatonist. You don't have to remember all these terms. And, and it too reinforced the idea that the spirit world could be good, but it's not all good because Satan is after all. And his imps are spiritual. And, and, but anyway, that, we don't need to get into that. But, so they came kind of to the same conclusion. And ultimately, it led to a theology that almost destroyed the church. Almost destroyed the church. Gnosticism was it's what it was called. And it, it, it actually made as a part of their doctrine what Manny, Manny, uh, Manichaeism said that Anything that is physical in itself is evil. If it's a stick, if it's a snake, if it's a turkey, if it's a human being, it's evil. Which meant then that a newborn baby fresh out of the womb because it had flesh on was evil. And that's the reason the Catholic Church at that time under the influence of Augustine, who was a brilliant man, started baptizing babies. Because that's the way you, you dealt with sin. And, and, and the Catholic Church, as well as the Orthodox Church, just require baptism. And so they started baptizing infants. Matthew called it pedo-baptism. That's the theological term for it, just infant baptism. And it was because of a theory that the church brought into it from the pagan world that anything that was physical was sinful in itself. I don't believe that. Let you know right up front, I don't believe that. But it does help you understand why the church has done some of the things that they've done through the years. And I think that's important for you. All right? So, that if... If then man is totally depraved, then he does not have free will to choose. And since he doesn't have free will to choose, God has to choose him or he can't be saved. So that has turned into a lot of divisive theological stuff that has divided the church. The Calvinists are over here, the non-Calvinists are over here, and they fuss about it, which in itself is sin. That division between them. You ought to be able to sit down and talk about these things without dividing. Dividing itself comes as a, re as a result of deceit and, and selfish determination that divides the body of Christ, which in itself is what I call the raping of the bride of Christ. I, d I don't let my feelings known very often. That's supposed to be funny. The next, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop there and go on with, this, with C. Is it possible to be beyond help? Now, this one creates a, 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 an interesting thought. We have a tendency to think, well, nobody is beyond help. Nobody is beyond help. We want to think that. But ask yourself this, what does the Bible say about it? That takes a little bit of different spin, folks. When you read, and we're talking now about to Christians. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians. 
It wasn't written to sinners wanting them to come to Christ. It was written to deal with a problem that the church was having, and, the, and, and it was written to the church in, uh, in Jerusalem. That's why it's called Hebrews, because the Jewish people are Hebrews. And if you look at verse 4, just to save time, of the sixth chapter, it says, It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who know the truth, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, which means they were saved, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming away, if they fall away to be brought back again to repentance. It is impossible. Now, he's not talking about somebody that stumps their toe and sins. He's talking about somebody that turns away from Christianity and goes back into the world or, or back into Judaism or back into paganism. He's actually saying... The only way they could be saved again is if Christ died again and he ain't going to do it because he, he accomplished everything God wanted him to do the first time. And that's repeated if you look at it carefully in the 10th chapter, verse 26. And, and all of it should be read, but we don't have time to that. He's talking now again to Christian people when he says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left because what Christ did on the cross was total payment for the sins of anybody who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Keep that foremost in your mind. But he is saying here to these people who were tempted to go back into Judaism because they were starving to death since they couldn't buy or sell food or anything there, the Jews wouldn't sell it to them. And they were tempted to go back just to survive. That's why the Apostle Paul took up a mammoth collection among Gentile churches and took it back to Jerusalem to help feed the saints there, to keep them from doing something silly. And so, you know, you, you, you have to, we have these ideas. I would like to think that no one is beyond help. No one could ever get to the place where they're beyond help. But that's me thinking, not just what the Bible says. And we're stuck with what the Bible says. We really believe the Word of God. So that creates a question there that we have to look at and be honest about. It's tough, isn't it, to read that? But it, it's there nonetheless. So that brings up this question. And this is D there. And I have to keep trucking. If a person, and is a person a sinner if he or she has not committed sin? Now, this, this has honestly been discussed seriously through the years in regard to two things, to children, to babies, and to, and to folks who, have, uh, who are mentally deficient. And probably the Catholic Church has done a better job of studying this and, and trying to figure it all out. Uh, I'm, I do not believe that as a result of a baby having flesh on, they're a sinner. I believe that we actually get to an age of accountability when we know what God's will is and choose not to do it. That's when you become a sinner. So my answer to this would be as a person, and I've got lots of smarter people than me who, who would differ with me, but maybe they'll come around in time. They, so what I'm saying here, folks, is that I believe that, that we do have some free will. We're not devoid of free will. And we can make a choice when that choice is offered to us, 
whether to deny the truth or to accept the truth and to become Christians. So is a person a sinner until they become a sinner? I think not. I think not. And I think if I had the time, I could make a strong argument for him along with for what I'm saying here with what the Apostle Paul says as well. Now, this next one here is a little something you may not even be aware of. But Satan has successfully, through the use of, of psychology, replaced the Bible with psychological stuff. And as a result of that, psychologists say one of the most damaging things that can happen to an individual is for them to feel guilty. And in order to get rid of guilt, they said we have to get rid of sin, which causes them to feel guilty. See? That's, that's the logic that's done. And, and, and there's, I can name you a half a dozen world-renowned psychologists and psychiatrists who fit into that category. Get rid of sin, you get rid of guilt. And then that book came out years ago, I'm okay, you're okay, which means everything's okay. So you shouldn't feel guilty about it. That's the reason you see in our culture today uh, stuff that is nauseating sexually in particular. I mean, the, the homosexual thing and the idea where uh, homosexuals get married and da-da-da-da-da, where, where they're actually promoting that, uh, that you can actually have sex with children and, and it's okay, you know. It's not only not biblical, it's nauseating in the process, and yet it's being promoted in many places as being acceptable. And it's sneaking in, and you need to be aware of it. That's the reason I say, please watch your children and your grandchildren with great care when they participate, especially in sporting activities. Please watch them. Don't leave them without... Somebody other than the coach being without a parent or somebody being there to look after them because they can't look after themselves. We have a responsibility, and it's a serious, serious situation. Now, would you rather be a sinner than to be classified as psychologically impaired? <laughs> I don't know. I want to say ahead of time, there are places where psychiatrists and psychologists can be of help, okay? But if you eliminate sin and you put everything under the category of a psychological problem, for instance, you have a youngster who has all kinds of uh, uh, problems and they'll say, well, his mother probably stuck him with a pen changing diapers when he was six months old, he's never got over it, or some silly stuff like that that, that, that causes psychological problems. But you never get over it. In the, in, when psychology replaced the Bible and sin ceased to be an issue and was laid aside, it created some really serious problems because John Law, your friend of mine in, in past, used to have a, a chiropractic clinic down here, and he was really successful and, and good at what he did. And he told me one day, he said, because uh, uh, Ruth became a Christian, his wife, under our ministry here and and I was at their house and John was telling me they had that fancy place way up on the hill you remember years ago and, and we were up there eating supper with John and Ruth Ann and he told me he said you know when they come to my place I'll give them a, uh, an adjustment I think is the term that he used for his back and he said then I try to sell them a book so they can keep coming back because nobody's ever fixed with one, with one session. Well, psychology is like that too. They give you a pill, you keep coming back, you're on the pill forever. You never get over anything. 
If you are a drunk, you're a recovering alcoholic the rest of your life. If you're a dope addict, you're a recovering alcoholic. You never get over anything. With sin, it can be forgiven. And God says, this is kind of neat since he's going to be your judge anyway. God says, and, and you and I don't have this capacity, but he does. And he said, when you, that sin is forgiven, I will remember it no more. Now, your wife will, but, he, but God won't. And because that's the human condition, isn't it? But you need to understand that there was this book that I brought up here was written by Dr. Carl Menninger of the, of the Menninger Foundation and Clinic in Topeka, Kansas years ago, about 1970. And the title of the book is Whatever Became of Sin. And Dr. Menninger is saying, look, he was a world-renowned psychiatrist who said, Calling it sin is a good thing because once it's forgiven and overcome, you're cured. We don't have anybody cured of anything anymore. But I'm here to tell you, I have friends who were practicing for years homosexuals who confessed that sin and today are married, have children, and happily, and I hear from them periodically. You can't tell me that, that, that there isn't a sin on the face of the earth that with the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of other people that can't be overcome. I'm telling you, God has that. So we've given, you know, we, we've given Satan free reign and we've said, God, you take a hike. And then we're paying the penalty as a result of it. Read your Bible and see what the, what the principles of the kingdom of God are and help bring them to earth because it blesses everybody. It just blesses everybody. Well, time's getting away from me here. But let me, let me tell you another book that's available that you may, because most of you don't know about this. The, uh, Frank Tallarico was active in it. And the, uh, the preacher at the, ba- first ba- at the ba- Wheelersburg Baptist Church is active in it. It's an, in Christian counseling that was started by a fellow by the name of Jay Adams. And he wrote the book Competent to Counsel years ago. And when I was a preacher in Illinois, I periodically would go to Kankakee, Illinois, where there's a, a, um, a Church of the Nazarene school. And it was a good school then. It's kind of gone to the left since then. But I, I get to go up there for chapel. And close by is the Kankakee uh, Mental Hospital. And, and it has a section there in the mental hospital that is considered beyond help. These folks are in their own section. They can't be, they're just waiting for them to die. They give them stuff to keep them calm and wait for them to die. Jay Adams, with the help, as a preacher, with the help of a psychiatrist, went into that section and spent months there. And they found out that several of those people were filled with such hatred over what had happened in the past that they couldn't forgive it and the result was they had been uh, they had suffered serious mental illness because of that and over a period of time when they found out who God was and that he could there were actually a few of those people who walked out healthy now we need to understand that God wants you to be he wants the best best for you but if we go Satan's route, there's a horrible penalty to pay. And there's great blessings on the other side of the house in the kingdom of God. So we, you need to make up your mind. Would you, when you go stand before the Lord, and we all will, for judgment, 
Would you rather go as a forgiven sinner or a psychologically impaired person? The way God set it up with sin that could be forgiven has its real blessings. He can forget it. And when you come before him, there are no charges against you. Because when Jesus died on the cross and you put your faith in him, that's, that ceased to exist in the mind of the judge. Put you in a pretty good position. When I was a kid, in Bracken, I lived down, went to school in Bracken County, Kentucky. We had something that was going there that was really pretty neat. We called them county youth rallies. And the churches would get together once a month, the kids would, and we'd have a county youth rally. And in those rallies, we learned uh, to sing. We didn't sing many hymns. We sang mostly choruses that we learned. And one of them was entitled, My Sins Are Gone. And we need to learn, we need to learn that and, and to get some of these things square in our mind because the theology behind them is solidly biblical and really emotionally helpful. The words to that song, if I got them right, and I, and I do because I brought the book just to make sure, because last night I forgot them. I winged it, but it wasn't too good. <laughs> it, the words go like this. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And now my soul is free, and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, Yep, that's good enough for me. And I shall live eternally. Praise God. My sins are gone. And yours are too. If you trust Jesus. Lord, bless us as a group of folks. Help us to learn to trust you. And to recognize the devil and his cohorts when we see them. And give us the courage to stand against them. Help us, O God, to be adequate and effective representatives of your kingdom as we seek first your kingdom. Knowing that you'll take care of us when we do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us assurance that When we stand before you, we do not stand as condemned, but totally forgiven as eternal citizens of your eternal kingdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We offer our gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.